and you can only really get the best out of your team and people by spending time with them, building those foundations of trust and relationships and understanding how they grow, what makes them sort of get excited, what drives them. And, and you can only really get that through spending time talking about, yes, work, but understanding how that work impacts them. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader you can possibly be. It's my gift to you and it's totally free. In today's episode, we are talking about building great teams with Sarah Powell, the Chief Executive of British Gymnastics. More specifically, in listening to this episode, you can expect to learn why it's a myth that great sports teams are comprised of people who get along and love working to each other. You'll also learn about the benefits of teaching teamwork or teamship alongside leadership. We're looking at ideas and tactics for practically building a culture that encourages healthy discourse or debate and really welcomes diversity of thought. And we're also looking at practical ways to help you strike the right balance between being vulnerable as a leader and showing strength when you really need to. Plus, as always, lots, lots more. So that's enough by way of an introduction and let's dive right in. So please enjoy my conversation with Sarah Powell. Sarah, can you tell us about your first memorable leadership experience in the workplace, be it good or bad, and how you think that has shaped you as a leader today and in the past? Yeah, I'll probably start with one when I was on my leadership journey as CEO in Sport Wales. We just set our vision and we were bringing all the staff together to talk about what our values and behaviours would look like. And I was walking around talking to the different tables and there was a lady called Barbara who used to work in our cafe at Sport Wales. And I was just chatting about actually how are we going to make these values come to life? And she turned around and said, Do you know what, Sarah, if people really got to know the person and not just the face, I think that would make a massive difference to the way the organisation runs. And that was some probably 10 years ago now, maybe even longer than that. But that has really stuck with me. That actually, if we take the time to really get to know the people that we work with and alongside, then we really get to understand what makes them tick, what makes us tick. And actually, it's quite a privilege, isn't it, when you have a conversation with somebody and they share something about themselves. And I think being a leader, being able to share is really important. If you don't mind, I might share another one. Yeah, please do. Which had quite a profound impact on me. And this was on a leadership training course with um, Academy Wales. It was a summer school where potential leaders were learning um, around leadership style. And I'd signed up to a session and it was with Emmanuel Gobelow and he writes leadership's books now. And I didn't know anything about it. It was just about 
understanding your leadership style and you walked in and you could turn right or you could turn left and there was nothing more than that just turn right or turn left I turned right and I went up a slight sort of slope to a top level where there was quite a lot of information and you could look down and people who had turned left were in a sort of small area where there was no information there was nothing right we just sort of stood as these two separate groups and it just went on and on and people above obviously had quite a lot of information in front of them it told them about what the session was about and the people below had nothing and it's you could see this sense of frustration and it, it really did have this profound impact on me about people in different positions having knowledge and power People may be in a different position, not having that knowledge and power. And eventually we did reach out and we came together as a group, but it was quite some time. And a few people left that session saying they felt very belittled and it really did impact them, particularly those that didn't have the information. And yeah, that's really stuck with me. You know, moments where you suddenly just, it was obviously a sort of social experiment, I suppose, in some ways, but it it taught me a lot about leadership. So there was... Nothing that drove your choice, whether you turned left or right. It was pure chance as you were walked in, right? Yep, 100%. Wow. And the people in the lower group who didn't have the information, could they see you in the higher group with the information? Like Visibly, could they see you? They could see us, but they didn't know that we had information. So again, it was this, you know, what stuck with me is the image of us looking down on people who had no information unless you communicated effectively and started to reach out and make those connections you know we just left each other and just feeling those two different perspectives and you know how much that has a psychological impact on people really taught me some great lessons I think that have stuck with me and you said it went on for quite a long time so how long before the the facilitator brought you back together do you think until we grouped and we eventually reached out, some people walked out and left. Some people started to talk between the two above and below. And then we realized, well, actually, you know, why don't you come up and join us? We've got lots of information. You've got no information. And then he came out and joined us, I'd say probably 40, 45 minutes into a two wow. hour, two hour session. And that's wow. why it felt really, really uncomfortable. But that's why I think it really resonated with me. Yeah, I guess this is almost an impossible question, Sarah, but how do you think you personally would have responded if you were in the other group? Yeah, I don't know. And I think that's what's sort of stuck with me is in positions of power, sometimes, you know, you have information in leadership, you have information. And if if you don't communicate that well and share that, or if it is used in a way that's not appropriate, then it can have a really big impact. So making sure that everybody feels connected and this this sort of philosophy of hierarchy, it stuck with me about hierarchy and trying to remove hierarchy was really important. And, you know, obviously he'd set it up that we went up and some say down. So this philosophy of looking down upon was, yeah, it was really cleverly done. Yeah, well, that's fascinating. And what would you say are some of the very practical things that you've done as a result of that experience because it sounds quite powerful quite profound even like on a day-to-day practical leadership level what has that driven you to do that people listening might be able to take away and apply themselves even though they've not had that really sort of powerful experience that you and your colleagues had I think drawing those two experiences together knowing the person It is a lot to do with human connectivity and and really getting to understand people and trying to remove those barriers 
as you say, of hierarchy that can be created in some way in organizations and really listening, be curious about people and, and give them the time to ask about themselves as people. And similarly, you've got to be open to share. I think that's quite an important, if you're willing to share about your own life in the right way, then people are willing to give to you. And I think that, you know, I'll maybe come back and talk about that a little bit later, but vulnerability, you know, if you if you can be open about your weaknesses or things that you feel more anxious about, people are more willing to share. So I think if you can open up, then people will open up to you. Yeah, it's fascinating. And Sarah, there's so many questions I'd, I'd love to ask based on just the first few minutes we've, we've been chatting here. The first one, I'm really pleased and excited and intrigued that you mentioned this piece around human connectivity, because especially over the past 18 months, that has really really come to be one of the things that i believe is most fundamental to, to great leadership and it's always been there for me kind of we i was taught that when i joined the army and went went to sandhurst but i think it really is one of the keys to success but i think the challenge with it is it takes time doesn't it to build relationships and, and maintain connections and time is often something that we either are or feel as though we're short of and i often talk about it now with regards to the good old prioritization matrix. So if it was to plot it in that matrix, like connection, building relationships, it's important, but really urgent, right? So it'd be that quadrant two of the matrix. But as leaders, it, unless we're really careful, unless we're really disciplined, unless we use our diary well, we get drawn to the quadrant one stuff, right? The urgent and, and important. So with that as a very long setup to, to my question, Again, what do you do personally or what have you seen other leaders do effectively to enable you to make time for this essential ingredient of maintaining relationships when we're in a busy, fast-paced, demanding work environment? Well, it's not really a, a superly intelligent answer of you, you have to prioritise it yeah. because actually that is how businesses for me work. I'm I'm very much around building collective teams mm. and you can only really get the best out of your team and people and enabling them to thrive as I would say it by spending time with them building those foundations of trust and relationships and understanding how they grow what makes them sort of get excited what drives them and, and you can only really get that through spending time talking about yes work but understanding how that work impacts them what excites them about the piece of work that they might be doing. So it's not one over the other, I think. Actually, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And if you spend the time being really curious through questioning, and I think one of the lessons I learned is I've got to listen more and share less. And that's certainly something that I, I really try and hold myself to account to now because I probably felt my leadership style was more about trying to give answers and find yeah. solutions, whereas I've definitely learned that Actually, the, the less you say and the more people give to you, probably the better leadership you're actually delivering. Yeah, that can be a challenge as well, right? Because often with age and experience comes more knowledge and experience and often opinions. So I think it can be very easy to think because we've been around the block a few times to use that phrase that we should be sharing, we should be telling people how, how to do things. But it's often not the most effective way, right? Because other people might have different, better ideas for for approaching challenges than, than we might. 100%. 
you know, I work in sport for a reason. I, I, I love the impact of sport. I love the excitement, the enjoyment that it gives. I, I did an individual sport when I started. I was a bit of a runner and it just didn't have the same buzz for me, crossing the line on my own. And then I started playing hockey and I recognise that I thrive in a team. I, I really do value that dynamic of having different people around you but that sort of collective aim and that joint purpose around what you can achieve you don't always achieve sometimes uh, you don't succeed but doing that together and drawing out the abilities of everybody and we all bring something different we set our own standards you know we play our own way but collectively we come together to achieve something greater has certainly been something that has stuck with me all the way through my leadership yeah and i really wanted to ask you some questions around teamwork and teamship as well and it's not to sort of gloss over your leadership expertise and experience because i know you you captained well so clearly your leadership skills are, are very significant but i'm really interested again in this idea of teamwork and teamship i've noticed recently that so much gets written about leadership in all sorts of different areas and, and domains but there's very little that's actually spoken or taught about teamwork right I don't remember ever in my sort of corporate career certainly going on any sort of teamwork course we might have had team days and and stuff like that but it's it's not something that's taught like what's your view on the place of teamwork teamship can it should it be taught and are there any sort of parallels from the world of sport that can be applied successfully to business do you think yeah i think so and you know lots of people use this there's no i in team and and it's an easy statement to make isn't it but i think using the sporting analogy if you're in a team sport you can't succeed without everybody else and i think that's just so important that you recognize the value of the collective right at the outset and for me playing hockey you know we all had different positions therefore we brought different skills so very quickly you recognize that actually to be a great team you need diversity of thinking you need diversity of skills but you all have a common goal and i think really understanding that and recognizing that different people can have good days different people can have bad days you know i certainly was never the best player but that wasn't important it was how you could work alongside the team to deliver the collective good so i do think there is something in people really understanding that and and starting to sort of unpick what that looks like particularly for me in this day and age around diversity of thinking having people that are really comfortable with discourse and, and are willing to give their view that doesn't always agree, but always recognising you're coming back to achieve something that is of greater purpose as a collective. I don't always like the thought of teaching leadership, but I think there's a greater understanding around the power of the team. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And when we spoke in preparation for this, Sarah, one of the things that uh, our conversation triggered in me or set me off on a journey thinking and exploring it was going back to my time training to be a leader in the army at Sandhurst and again there I don't think teamwork was ever explicitly taught but actually alongside the leadership it's probably one of the main things I learned that in a way there we learned it very quickly out of necessity because throughout that 11 months we would all rotate through having different command or leadership appointments where we would be be tested so there was a real element of teamship in that 
I knew to work hard and support the individual whose turn it was to be the leader to help them succeed and, and look good because at some stage they would be doing doing the same for me so there was this sort of very um I guess in some ways selfish motivation to be a, a team player but equally if you weren't seen as a team player you certainly didn't come across well in the eyes of the instructors or it didn't serve you well if you wasn't seen to be a be a great team player so in a roundabout way it, it taught us a lot about teamwork actually yeah and I think that that word around teaching something I think you part of this is about creating the environments and if you can create the environment where actually that teamship as you put it becomes the norm actually the first thing you think about is actually how do I support the person alongside me or how do I get the best out of the person who I'm working with then that just becomes the way that you work and that's why you know, building on great values, talking about what do great behaviours look like, I think it's really important. And, you know, I spend more time talking now around emotional intelligence and Mm -hmm. getting people that really understand that and have empathy and a care for those around them, rather than, you know, potentially, let's talk about emotional intelligence rather than egotistical ways of driving things. So anybody that's out there for themselves these days would probably get spotted quite quickly if you've got a really good environment and a really good culture that is built on collective values and collective behaviors so i'm a passionate believer about getting emotional intelligence right across your organization and then that drives your culture and it sets your environment really well yeah i'd love to come back to that just in a second there's a train of thought from our previous conversation that i don't want to lose as well which was Around this piece, you mentioned around diversity of thought and different opinion. I'm, again, interested to make the sort of sporting business link. I love the lessons business can learn from sport. And one of the stories I've heard several times, I don't know if it's it's true or not, is linked to GB kind of rowing and the fact that in the men's eight, in the run-up to, I think it's the 2000 Olympics, whilst they were a great performing team that went on to win gold they didn't necessarily all like each other but they could still be a great team what was your experience of that with hockey for for wales and being a great team versus people liking each other because sometimes i think falsely we make a link between a great team is one where everyone is best best mates so what's what's your view and have you got any experiences or, or tips you can share on on that for people listening? I've got to be careful what I say about my teammates <laughs> now, and I know. No, I, I think it's right. You need discourse. You need people with different opinions and different views. Uh, and actually, you know, you should spend real time listening to people that don't agree with you, because actually, out of that conversation come some of the richer decisions. I think because you 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 need to understand both perspectives. I think it's not about liking. I think it's about respect. And, mm. you know, you don't have to like everybody, but if you if you can respect people because you've built solid relationships and, and it's built on trust, then that really sets you apart as a great team because there will always be times when people don't get on. That's fine. But if you recognise that your role is bigger than your individual feeling, you're actually collectively doing something for the greater good, then that pulls you together. And I think you need that. I think you need somebody that's prepared to stand up and say, no, I don't agree with this or the way that we're moving forward. And 
again coming back to creating those environments where people feel able to do that and that can only come from a level of respect that you feel you can say I don't agree or I've got a different view and actually if you've got an environment where that's not happening you should probably question it and and I get questioned quite a lot about who haven't you listened to who aren't you listening to within your sphere and particularly with social media now you you know you can get in bubbles where you can believe everything that you're hearing every day and You've got to check and challenge yourself in leadership to go and listen to people outside of your your comfort zone, let's say. And how do you do that, Sarah? Is that through having a series of trusted advisors who who challenge you on it? Is that by having a coach or, or a mentor? Is that just by asking everyone who works within British Gymnastics to speak up? How do you go about doing that on a practical day-to-day level because you mentioned how key listening is so how how do you make sure you're hearing from a diverse spread of the organization and I guess for you customers stakeholders people in grassroots gymnastics clubs how do you how do you stay tuned in I think it's a combination of all of that for me personally yeah I've, I've got a mentor that I use that I speak to every couple of months to just to check in and and question my own thinking and and talk things through. I'd recommend for anyone, I've got a group of, say, three or four brilliant friends who who check and challenge me, or I can go and test something with that will give me their real honesty. And I think that's really important to have people at that level that sort of kindred spirits, I would call them, that, that, that can come with you, but also check you back to where you need to get to. In the organization, I think there's two levels. You need to set it up structurally so we have some advisory groups so we listen to members and clubs and and parents but I think more importantly informally you you just need to be visual you need to be out there and present in the clubs listening to people so we we commit to doing a lot of club visits and you can only really get that one-to-one because people will talk to you honestly when you you sit in front of them and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and you're genuinely willing to listen to their their discourse and and a lot of that is you know giving the space to raise concerns or issues and being prepared to listen not always give the answers to take yeah. it away and and to really think about it but again it's easy not to commit to that you've got to find the time to to do it and i i think that's one of the biggest things for us in leadership now is how do we connect with our community and not just connect but to really listen and empower because there's a real agency there and i think National governing bodies in their title could be dismissive of that, that the national body should have all the answers. Actually, the answers lay within the community. You know, they deliver the sport. They know what is happening out there. So I think the most successful sports that I see are the ones that are really rooted and connected into their community and are empowering them to make the decisions, you know, within within the realms that you can. But it, it's really important. Mm. And talking of empowering people, I want to circle back once again as well. You you mentioned the word discourse a few times, and sort of I'm interpreting that as being a team where we can engage in sort of healthy challenge and, and debate around in, important topics, which I guess to use the latest buzzword or label that's getting put on that, we're probably talking here about psychological safety, which I've certainly come across many organizations where meetings or indeed the whole organization doesn't feel particularly safe. Again, with that as the backdrop, Sarah, have you got any advice on what those leaders and managers 
listening to this can do to try and move their teams towards a place where people are are happy to engage in those types of conversations or put their head above the parapet and say, oh, I disagree or I don't think we've con- considered this because that could be really scary for you. So what, what advice can you share there, Sarah? I, I think the key to that is great questioning because I think you will only tease that out. If you can create the safe spaces, and that usually happens in smaller groups, that you ask a lot of questions you stay curious as long as you can to encourage people because it won't come out in the first set of questions Hmm. it might start to emerge in the second set of questions so again it's about this space and time to really ask and dig a little bit deeper because if you can dig deeper into these sort of connections and understanding people will will share on the converse if you if you shut down people's views that are not always of the same view of yourself you know we we all feel under pressure sometimes if somebody's maybe being critical and particularly if you feel it's critical towards yourself that's Mm. when you've sort of got to I say just take a big deep breath you know Mm. just suck it up and you have to just listen and and try and understand and really ask more questions so when when I feel uncomfortable about something I've got to sort of trigger in my own mind okay now really explore this try and really understand why i'm feeling uncomfortable or it may be something that i disagree with don't try and 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 respond in a way that might shut that person down because i think we all know once we've been shut down once it's quite difficult to come back a second time but if you do you know we've all done it and i've done it you know be prepared to go and apologize you know say sorry actually i reacted badly to that i'm sorry can i just come back to you and explain it a little bit more to me let's talk that through let me understand what you're thinking and and usually you find something very different than actually what you thought was their position and i think even more than that that is such a powerful thing for a leader to do right i think i can probably only think of one or two occasions where i've seen uh, or or experience a leader doing that personally to me and actually coincidentally or not those are probably the two leaders who I would have done absolutely anything for I think we can fall into this trap can't we of thinking that's some sort of sign of weakness but I think that does so much for strengthening the the connection and the and the loyalty between people when someone is bold and strong enough to to go and say sorry kind of I, I reacted I didn't listen fully can we explore this this again 100% and if you can do it in the moment as well when other people are around and see that you've recognized it and you're prepared to say actually I'm really sorry can we just stop and go back to this individual other people will recognize that yeah, you've reflected and you, you've been prepared to acknowledge you've made a mistake. And I come back to the point I made around vulnerability and I've become really comfortable with that. I, I didn't used to be. I, I suppose when I was coming up through my leadership journey, if that's the right way to describe it, I, I talked a lot around being invincible, you know, mental toughness, that resilience, and to share a bit of a personal story. My family was pretty invincible. We were brought up in that way. And my brother was in the forces and, and and when he used to go back off, he always used to say, don't worry, I'm invincible, it will be fine. And he didn't return one time in 2007, he didn't return. And, you know, we suddenly learned very, very quickly that we're not invincible. Actually, we're humans and we're, you know, we are very vulnerable. 
And at that moment, I just thought, actually, do you know what? There's nothing more important than being vulnerable. And actually going back into my leadership after that, I recognized that, you know, you need to take that time to just listen to people and recognize sometimes you don't have to have the answer. You just need to connect in a different way. So, yeah, vulnerable leadership is probably a better term these days and maybe mentally aware rather than mentally tough. Just pausing here, Sarah, to find the right words to share what's going on in my mind. It strikes me that what you've just shared is an example of a vulnerable moment and being vulnerable. You said your your brother didn't return. I Is that he didn't return from an overseas deployment with the military? That's right. We lost him in 2007 in Iraq in a, in a helicopter accident. As you'd expect, it had a profound effect on us all, but he he wouldn't have wanted to do anything else in any other way. So again, mm. we don't want it to be seen as anything that was something that our family are not very, very proud of the individual. And it's something that we all feel is still with us about how we would interact and how we move forward. Well, I'm very, very sorry to, to hear that. And something that I very intentionally decided to start saying more because a few Americans have said it to, to me recently, and I think they have a different view of their veterans. And it's just to say thank you for, for your brother's service. I don't think we say that enough in the UK of our armed forces. So let me just yeah say thank you to you for your brother's service. Thank you. Sarah, something else I wanted to ask you, this is very much linked to a few things that have cropped up in the in the conversation. And it's around this piece of leaders showing some degree of vulnerability. Now, there are some people I come across who still have maybe a more traditional approach and they're like, why would I do that? I don't know how to do that. And I've, I do think there is a balance to be struck, right? There are times when, and I've been doing it a lot more my, myself, when being a little bit more vulnerable, sharing a little bit more about what's really going on for us as a leader can be really, really powerful. And at the same time, there are those moments where people just need to be able to look at us as the leader for that absolute sort of confidence and reassurance and as I say this I'm reminded of I think over the Christmas period I had some time at home alone and I was flicking through and when the family away I often put on an old war film because they still interest me and I found myself watching U571 which I think was a story about the U-boats hunting for the Enigma code-breaking machines the main captain of the submarine had been killed and this young captain who all the crew loved suddenly took charge and they're on board this german submarine that they find themselves on and he basically stands there and says guys i don't know what to do right now what what do you think and this sort of salty old sort of sea dog his his number two pulls him aside and says sir never ever do that again the captain always knows and it's an interesting sort of spectrum to to move up and down have you got any thoughts or tips on how you can go about striking that balance and and I know this is almost a question without any answer because it's very much just depends on the situation, right? And it's every individual's gut and instinct that will tell them what to do. But what's your view on that? And, and do you have any any tips to share? I don't agree the captain always knows. Nor do I, actually. I think the key here is captain gives the direction and, and gives that with absolute clarity and then brings people with them 
on that collective journey towards that direction. And actually, I think if, if you can be really clear around what the issue is and you're trying to solve mm. and that you're actually seeking people's input. And I think we, you know, we use the language around co-production and co-creation, but at the at the heart of it is listening to the right people and bringing them with you and drawing out their knowledge and skills to find the best solution. Ultimately, you, know, you will make the decision on times as the captain, you will lead that direction. And I think part of that is giving confidence. Mm. If you're unsure and you're unsuring how you're going to find the answer, that's when I would be worried. But if you're unsure, but you're really confident about how you can use the team to find the answer, then that's different. You know, be confident in using the team around you and actually empowering them around the solution. You'll get much better solutions, but you'll also get the buy-in. I don't know if you know Margaret Wheatley. She's um, an organizational behaviorist and and she talks about the myth of, I'm paraphrasing her, but she talks about the myth of changing the world one person at a time. And she says, no, it's not about that. It's actually about building connective relationships with people that have a kindred spirit that understand a common goal and have a collective yeah. vision. And when you come together, you you enhance your knowledge, you develop new skills, and that's how great change comes about. It's yeah, not about individuals. Love that. Love, love, love that. Sarah, I've got a new standard closing question that I'm asking everybody as we wrap up the podcast, which is, what would you say is the best mistake that you've ever made? Not spending the right amount of time on recruiting people with the right, I would say, emotional intelligence. I think we can get too drawn into competencies, CVs, buzzwords. And actually, when I've spent time with people and got to know them and understand their values and what drives them emotionally, they are the greatest appointments. But I have made mistakes and been drawn into appointing people on CVs and written words, not on really what makes people tick. And it's very difficult to change that once you've made that recruitment, particularly at senior leadership. So spend the time on the emotional intelligence. Yeah. And whilst the question I'm about to ask isn't a what's your killer interview question question, are there any particular approaches you use to help you get to that during a interview and selection process? Because as somebody once said, and I, I forget who this is attributed to, but an interview is nothing more than a meeting of two liars, which there's probably some truth in there without getting too much into analyzing the question but yeah how do you go about really seeing and getting the right person you need that extra step i think outside of the interview where you can just go for a walk with somebody or meet them off-site and have a coffee with them and you might have to do that with one or two people particularly at senior roles but actually just sitting down and talking about what do they enjoy in their spare time what makes them tick you know, really those types of questions start to draw out the person and I think the more they're prepared to share and, and you get a real feel for it in that environment so always put that extra step in if you can yeah I love that and it almost brings us back quite nicely to something we mentioned elsewhere that you touched on a few times which was something I learned in the military early on again and it's just how much value can be achieved how much insight we can gain from sitting with somebody having a cup of tea or coffee right <laughs> yeah that is leadership 
don't believe that it's behind the desk looking at numbers and doing your governance all day every day it's about interaction and care really important yeah love that sarah thank you so much for your time today the time has absolutely flown for me i've really enjoyed chatting to you I've taken loads from it and I'm certain that everybody listening will take loads from this conversation too. So thank you very much. No, thank you for your time. Pleasure. Before you go, let me just say thank you for joining Sarah and myself for this episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. And do also go and check out the Leaders Kit Bag episodes. It's the new weekly micro edition of the podcast. Each episode is just five or six minutes long and focuses on one very practical leadership tip, tactic or topic. And once you've listened, please go ahead and share them with your friends and colleagues so that together we can really work to improve the leadership capability in our companies, in our charities and all of our institutions. After all, I'm sure you'll agree when I say that the world needs great leaders now, perhaps more than ever. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, folks, lead on.